The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. Good morning, Brands. I want to welcome you to Brian Bible Church. Um, appreciate you being here this morning. We've been doing a series on preterism and the spiritual gifts. We've been talking about this for the last four weeks, and three weeks ago I thought I was done, then I did a fourth, and I think I'm done now. But <clears throat> I want to conclude the series this morning by doing a message on the gift of giving. <laughs> now, don't run away. <clears throat> I have a few reasons for wanting to talk about this, but my main reason is because the issue of tithing is so confused today. And there's so many pastors, modern pastors, pushing tithing on the people. And by tithing, I mean the Old Covenant law. And this law passed away When the law passed away, but that doesn't seem to hinder them. They just keep pushing it. And I've had a pastor tell me I push it because it works. It doesn't have to be biblical. It just works in the sense of it brings money into the church was what he was telling me. All right. So I've been saying over and over through this series on the gifts that the gifts ended in 8070. They were for the transition period. And the transition period ended, so did the gifts. Well, that's the same with the command to tithe. When the old covenant ended, tithing ended. And... Let me just let you know up front, this message won't really be about the gift of giving as much as it will be what the Bible has to say about tithing and what the Bible has to say about giving. So this text here in Romans, this is the only place this gift is mentioned. Romans says, now, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to the faith, if service in our serving... The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, the word gifts here is charisma, and it means gift of grace or free gift. And as you look at the context here, I think it's pretty clear that Paul's dealing with the subject of spiritual gifts. He lists seven spiritual gifts here in this text. And we've gone over and over this, that my definition of spiritual gift is a God-given capacity through which the Holy Spirit supernaturally ministers to the body. This was for the brand new church. As they were coming along, these gifts were there to help the church come to maturity. He mentions here the gift of giving. This translation, ESV, says contributes in generosity. The word contributes here is a a compound Greek word, metadidomai. And didomai is the normal word to give. Metadidomai means to super give. So there seems to have been some people who were gifted by the Spirit of God to be super givers. Now, that makes you question, what is this actually about? Yeah... I get the question here. You know, the spiritual gifts listed in Scripture, we saw that there were 20 of them. The giving is one of the 20. A lot of people add all kinds of other gifts that uh, they just make them up because they're not in the Bible. All right, at least this one's in the Bible. This is a gift that was listed. This is a gift that a lot of pastors wish their people had. You get that, right? (laughs) What exactly is the gift of giving? All right, we tried to, to figure out what these gifts are, what they meant. Um, here's my understanding. We really have no idea what the gift giving was or how the person who had it demonstrated it. Okay? We don't know. It's listed here in Romans in this list of gifts. That's the only time we see it. So other than the fact that there was a gift... We know nothing about it, period. Okay, we're done. Close your Bibles, we can go home, right? (laughs) No, wrong, okay? This is my launching point, all right? Just getting started here. I started looking up, what do people say about this gift? Because, you know, I mean, there's tests. I went online and and was looking at the different tests that you can take. 
to tell you what, you know, they ask a series of questions and you answer the questions. Most of them are multiple guests, you know, and it tells you what your gift is. So it's fun. If you want to do that, go check it out. You know, they're easy to find. But I was trying to find out what are people saying about this gift of giving? What are they saying? And I found a common thread through some of the men that I checked behind what they said it was. Um, so some men believe they know what this gift was. I don't know, maybe they have the word of wisdom, and that's how they know what it is, because, like I said, it's not in the Bible. But Dr. Larry Gilbert writes this about the gift of giving. He says, everyone should tithe. Uh, We're talking about the gift of giving. And he says, everyone should tithe, but the giver goes far beyond the tithe. Okay, so according to Dr. Gilbert, the gift of giving was the supernatural ability To give more than a tithe. So, does everyone who gives more than 10% have the gift of giving? He says, givers have the attitude that tithing is the outward evidence of an inward commitment. He goes on to say, tithing is not giving 10%. It's receiving 90%. It's a commandment for all Christians. What's a commandment? Tithing. The gift of giving starts where tithing ends. So according to him, if you give more than 10%, you have the gift of giving. Cool, right? That's simple. (laughs) Is tithing a commandment for all Christians? People, you're going to hear this in the majority of churches. Okay? Are those who don't tithe sinning? Well, if God commands you to tithe and you don't tithe, then yes. Okay? Greg Laurie of Harvest.org writes this about the gift of giving. While it is true that God has given certain people the gift of giving, it is also true that every Christian should give to the Lord on a regular basis. God makes this amazing promise to the faithful giver. Then he quotes Malachi 3.10, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. So again, another man talking about giving, and he goes right to the issue of tithing. He goes on to say, Those with the gift of giving share their own possessions with others with extraordinary generosity. I would say my wife has to get the giving. Good job, honey. While other Christians should be givers, while all Christians should be givers, Those possessing this gift will do beyond this normal giving. Now, by normal giving, he's, again, tithing. So, again, he seems to think that, you know, normal giving is tithing. If you do more than tithing, all Christians are commanded to tithe, but if you do more than tithing, then you have the gift of giving. You have the ability to go beyond the tithe. So, again, I found this common thread, which I thought was interesting. So, what exactly is tithing? Let's talk about this. So we know what tithing is. You heard a lot about it, I'm sure. Does the Bible teach that we're to give 10%? I remember hearing a radio preacher say, I have doubts that a person who does not tithe is a Christian. So now it's connected with the gospel. Okay? If you don't give 10%, you better check your salvation. He also said this, One who does not tithe is under the condemnation of God. And he gets that from Malachi 3. We'll look at that in a minute. So that's where that's coming from. He's not making that up. I mean, Malachi actually says that. This is an area of great confusion in the Christian church. It just is. And I don't understand it. I really don't. When I was speaking at conferences, preterist conferences, where, you know, you don't have your average people. These are people who are serious about studying and digging. I mentioned tithing, and it's not biblical. And they're like, what are you talking about? You know, and I'm like, Really? This crowd? You don't get it either? So I just think it's something we need to talk about. Is tithing mandated for Christians? How many of you have been taught at some point in your Christian life that you're supposed to tithe? David, I know you were because you went to a Baptist church. Oh, (laughs) I didn't see. I missed it. You raised it too fast. All right. How does a mandatory 10% fit with what's taught in the New Testament about giving? Well, it really doesn't. I mean, Paul devoted two chapters in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, to the subject of stewardship. 
Christian stewardship, and the word tithe is never mentioned. The church's teaching on tithing is legal. It's legalistic. It is old covenant. I attended a Baptist church much, when I was much younger for many years, and they had a campaign slogan, because you have these campaigns at these churches, the campaigns to get money from you. And one of the campaigns was called Tithing is Christian. And I said, no, it's not. Okay? And again, I had a lengthy discussion with the pastor about this. And one night we were out somewhere, and we stayed up late talking about this. And by the time we were done, he says, I think you're right. Tithing's not biblical. Two weeks later, he's back teaching on tithing. And I said, what happened? He said, it just works. I'm like, okay. You know, he's talking about his paycheck here, so he went back to tithing just to make sure he got paid. Tithing is not Christian. It was for Old Covenant Israel, not for New Covenant Israel, which is the church. And those who teach tithing teach that we have a God bill. Right? You have to pay your phone bill, your gas bill, your power bill, your sewer and water, your mortgage, and your God bill, which is 10% of your income. Of course, then we get into, is that 10% of your net or 10% of your gross? <laughs> if you don't pay your God bill, God will send out his heavenly collection agency and take it out of your hide. And I, oh, I remember they had some guest speaker in the Baptist church, and this guy got up there and he's like, if you don't give your tithe, God will break your washing machine. I thought, how does that help him? <laughs> if my, it's just, you know, God's going to get it out of you, in other words, but if I give it to the repairman, God's not really getting it. I didn't understand all that, but it just was like, again, they're coming from Malachi, and this is a curse. You don't give your 10%, God's going to take it out of your hide, all right? And they'll support this teaching with verses like this from Malachi. Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. All right? You're cursed because you're not tithe. Who is God speaking to here in Malachi? The nation Israel, okay? And he's telling them, you're cursed with a curse if you don't do this. To not tithe is to rob God, and it's to be under a curse. So that's where these preachers come up with this stuff about the curse. Because tithing was required under the Mosaic Law. Leviticus 27.30 Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is Yahweh's. It is holy to Yahweh. So this is part of the Mosaic Law. Now, are we under the Mosaic Law as believers? No. And most people understand that. Most churches understand that. But we want to hang on to this one part of the Mosaic Law. You know, no one that I know of is pushing animal sacrifices, which is part of the Old Covenant Law. But tithing, they're going to keep putting. Why? Animal sacrifice doesn't benefit them. Tithing benefits them, okay? Under the Old Covenant, the purpose of the tithe was to support the Levites. Okay? Under the Old Covenant, the tithe was a debt. It was taxation. It was not giving. Listen, giving under the Old Covenant was free will. It was voluntary. We'll look at that in a minute. But tithing is taxation. Just like on April 15th, you don't send the IRS a gift, do you? Man, I just love our government. Let me give you a little... I'd like to add some extra this time. No. (laughs) Taxation is theft. Okay? From my perspective. I think that's just their government is stealing from us. They're they're robbing us. Okay? I better move on here, all right? (laughs) But the IRS, it's required giving. They're not they don't say, hey, if you'd like to help out our government, because nobody would, of course. You know, but if you'd like to help out, just send us no, they if you don't pay, you're going to jail. Okay? Tithing is taxation under the mosaic economy. Now, some people teach that we should tithe because tithing precedes the law. See, they tithe, you know, 
some people, you got to figure out a way to get around it was just legal, So because you, you want people to still do it. So they say, well, tithing was around before, and so we should still do it. Well, you know what? Animal sacrifices were around before the law, too, right? I mean, Noah got off the boat, sacrificed animals. That was before the law, so maybe we should still do that. The first mention of tithe is found in Genesis 14.20. And blessed be God, Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. You know the context here? Who's he talking about? Melchizedek. All right. When Abram met Melchizedek, who represented was a pre-incarnate Christ, a theophany, he wanted to express his thanks to God for the victory, so he gave him a tenth of the spoil. He wasn't told to do this. It was just voluntary. This incident is also mentioned in Hebrews. See how great this man to whom Abram the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. Now, what's interesting here is the word spoils is the Greek word akrothinion, which means the top of the heap, the best of the spoils. So Abraham gave a tenth of the best, not the whole. So that one would be a less than tenth, right? All right. There's evidence that many pagan deities were honored by the giving of the tenth. Ten represents totality. The giving of the tenth was a symbol of the giving of the whole. Now, the next use of the word tithe is in Genesis 28. It says, then Jacob made a vow. This sounds really weird to us, okay? But this is, they made vows based on stuff like this. See, God had promised them certain things. So he's basically saying, God, if you do what you promised me, I'll do this. Because it sounds like, I don't know, it just sounds weird to our culture, This the way Jacob does this. He made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in his way that I go and will give me bread to eat, and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then Yahweh shall be my God. If God does everything I want him to, he'll be my God. That's not really the way he means it, but that's how it sounds to us. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Now, Jacob's nowhere commanded to give this tenth. It was completely voluntary on his part. He gave the first Who gave the first offering? Cain and Abel, right? It was voluntary as far as we know. It doesn't tell us that God told him to do this. They gave him some instructions, but Noah got off the boat, offered a sacrifice. Voluntary. God didn't tell him to do it. Nowhere before do we see any instructions there. Before the Mosaic economy, tithing is only mentioned twice with no command to do it. During the Mosaic economy, tithing became a familiar term As we study the Tanakh, we'll see that there's actually three tithes. I think this is what most people don't understand. They're familiar with the Levite tithes, all right? That's the first tithe, all right? Let's look at that, Leviticus 27.30. Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is Yahweh's. It is holy to Yahweh. All right, so they're to give a tithe. This is clear. But we're told in Numbers that the tithe was collected and given to the Levites. Numbers 18, 21. To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance. In return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. Now drop down to verse 24. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to Yahweh, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore I have said to them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. The Levites didn't have a piece of property like the rest of the tribes had, that they could work to make their living. They were to do the Lord's work in the tabernacle, in the temple, and so God provided for their needs through the the tithing. See, Old Covenant Israel was a theocracy. A theocracy is a government by the rule of God mediated through the priests. So basically... The priests are running the government as it comes through God, as God gives them instruction. And so the tithe was to take care of them. So guess what the tithe is doing? It's taking care of the government. It's taxation. And it was mandatory, as we see in Malachi. Secondly, we have a festival tithe. So you have the Levites tithe. Then there's another 10% for festivals. 
All right, we know that Israel, they had seven festivals. When they came to these festivals, they were to bring stuff, and everybody brought the stuff, and they shared it with one another. And it was, uh, you know, promoted uh, community spirit. Uh, Deuteronomy 12. There you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, the firstborn of your herd and of your flock, and there you shall eat before Yahweh your God. So they bring in this to just have a great party together at this festival. And you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake in which Yahweh your God has blessed you. Deuteronomy 14.22 says, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year, and before Yahweh your God, in the place that He will choose. Now pay attention to that. Where are you going to bring this? To the place that God chooses to make His name dwell there. Where was that place? That was Jerusalem. He chose Jerusalem. They set the temple up there. That was where they were to go do this festivals. You shall eat the tithe of your grain. Notice that they're partaking of this tithe they brought. Your wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock that you may learn to fear Yahweh your God always. Again, so it's a tithe, and you're going to eat it, you're going to enjoy this together. It's a potluck. Everybody's to bring something, okay? Basically is the idea here. He says, and if the way is too long for you, all right, got to go to Jerusalem. So if it's too long, you're not able to carry the tithe. you got all these you know, vegetables and all this stuff. You know, you, it's too far to carry all this stuff. When Yahweh your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which Yahweh your God chooses to set His name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that Yahweh your God chooses. So this is the second tithe. It was taken to a central sanctuary in Jerusalem for the feast sacrifice. It's to promote national unity. It's part of their festival. There's plenty of food there to eat because... They're partaking of this. So we have the Levite tithe, we have the festival tithe. There's a third tithe. Anybody know what that is? It's the poor tithe. Let's look what Scripture says about this. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out of all the tithe of your produce into the same year and lay it up within your towns. So this happens every three years. So this is 33 and 3%, right? Every three years. Laid up within your towns, and the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, who are within your towns, shall come, and shall eat and be filled, that Yahweh your God may bless you in all the work of your, that your hands do. So once every three years, there was a special additional income tax to take care of the poor in the land. This was a poor tithe, or it's also called a welfare tithe. They were also to leave the corners of their field unharvested for the poor. So their tithe or taxation really worked out to about 25% a year. That's not a lot of different than our taxation in this country, all right? 25%. That's what they're given. So, you know, people, I want to tithe. Well, give 25%, not 10, okay? Let's be biblical about it anyway. And then we have Malachi. Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. Because you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me. The whole nation of you bring the full tithe to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says Yahweh of hosts. Bring it to the storehouse. Now, if you've been in the church for any length of time, I'm sure you heard these verses by Malachi. Anytime someone talks about tithing, they go to Malachi. Used to promote tithing. What these verses are really teaching is that if an Israelite didn't pay their taxes, they're robbing God. The tithe was taxation in the theocracy. The storehouse was the temple treasury. Tithing was mandatory under Old Covenant. But giving under the Old Covenant, was always voluntary. In reference to the offerings for the temple, notice what the Scripture says, Exodus 25, 1 and 2. Yahweh said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. 
from every man whose heart moves him. What? Who gives the contribution? Anybody who feels like it. You're you're motivated. You want to help out with this? You shall receive the contribution for me. So, you know, if if no 10% here, it's just they're collecting this, you know, and whoever feels like it, join in. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that Yahweh has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to Yahweh. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring Yahweh's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze. And they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him. And everyone whose spirit moved him. And they brought Yahweh's contribution used for the temple meeting, for all the service, and for the holy garments. They came, both men and women. So they're coming, bringing these gifts. All who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and amulets and all sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicating an offering of gold to Yahweh. No percentage message here. No commandment. They were commanded to give, but they were, how much? Give whatever you want. Whatever your heart stirs you up to do, please give that. Exodus 36, 5 and 6. Now listen to this carefully. Because you won't hear it ever anywhere else, okay? God says to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work of Yahweh has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a command. The word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from giving. This is something you will never hear a preacher preach. Stop giving. We have too much. You've done way too much. Please stop. I don't care how big the building is. They're not going to, because the bigger the building, the more they need your money, okay? They're good. They're, you'll never hear this. But I would just love to get up and do this one day. <laughs> Please, everybody just stop, all right? Stop giving. You know, just, you brought way too much. The people willingly gave so much that they had to be refrained. We don't need any more. And when David wanted to build a temple, notice the people's attitude on that. So then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to Yahweh. David the king also rejoiced. They're just again, just freely giving. Notice what the Proverbs say on giving. Honor Yahweh with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Giving is worship, and it's voluntary. No amount was specified. They had to pay their tithe, they had to pay the tax, but giving was always free will. Proverbs 11.24 One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. This gives us the old covenant principle on giving. Tithing's taxation. It's not giving. Giving is always voluntary. That is, the amount given is voluntary. It's the same in the New Testament, except there's no tithe in the New Testament. The tithe is never imposed on the new covenant believer. We don't live in a theocracy. And I encourage you to get out of concordance and look up the word tithe, and it's plural in the New Testament, and you'll see that it's only used eight times in the New Testament. Matthew uses it, Luke uses it, but they're referring to the Old Covenant law. It's used five times in Hebrews 7, speaking of the time before the giving of law when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. It's not mentioned in any of the New Testament letters to the churches. And yet, (laughs) it's just constantly preached. According to Deuteronomy 12.5, the tithe was to be paid in Jerusalem. But you shall seek the place that Yahweh, your God, will choose out of all your tribes to put His name and make His habitation there. There you shall go. So if you really think you're under the obligation to tithe, you're 2,000 years too late. You're 5,000 miles too far away because you're to take it to Jerusalem. This is so clear in the New Testament, that we can only miss it, I think, if we really tried to. 
Yet so many still impose it upon New Testament believers. And people, I think the only reason they can get away with this is because Christians don't read their Bibles. If you read your Bible, you'd be like, "Mm, wait a second here, I got a question. Oh, you're not allowed to ask questions. Put your hand up. Okay, no questions here. So what does the New Testament teach believers about giving? Does it say anything about giving? Are we under any kind of obligation? Let me just say this. It is not easy to have a clear perspective on giving because we are constantly being bombarded by appeals for our money. I mean, people are sending out letters, every ministry group, every church, they're sending out letters. You know, you you get stuff in the mail, you hear the preachers on TV constantly asking for money, people on the radio constantly asking for money. You're bombarded with techniques, gimmicks to give, church stewardship drive, budget drives, all kinds of things trying to get your money. You you know, it's just sickening. The phone rings and, hey, we need you to, no, I gave at the office, thanks, okay? You know that pastors take courses in schools on how to raise the church budget. You can read material on how to develop a tithing church. They teach pastors this. Or you can get slick things going like Paycheck Sunday, All Tithe Sunday. We had this at the Baptist church I went to. They had All Tithe Sunday, which meant... Okay, you, you never really tithed before. This is your chance to tithe this week and see how you like it. You'll like it so much. God will bless you so much, you'll just keep on tithing. And, I mean, it was a gimmick. They had, at the church, they had a, a promotion called Makeup Sunday. They had this in September because you were probably on vacation and you didn't put your check in in the offering. So we're having Makeup Sunday. This is for you to make up the tithe you didn't give during the summer. Whew. <laughs> they just do so much to promote this, you know, how to make you feel guilty, how to make you give more. And then if you're really desperate, you can hire out of town experts. They come in and they raise money for you. Then you got to give them a piece of the action, of course. So, but they do that. Mark Twain said he was so sickened by the long appeals for money that not only did he not give when he planned to give, when the plate came by, he took a bill out. <laughs> <laughs> In the midst of all the gimmicks and programs and strong-arming that's going on in the church, what we really need to know is what does the Bible say about this? Okay? Let's just base... I know that's a strange thing, isn't it? But let's base what we believe, what we do, on the Scriptures. Let's go back to our text in Acts 17.11, all right? These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the Word with eagerness examining the Scripture daily to see if these things are so. So let's just go to the Scripture and see what the Bible says about New Covenant giving, New Testament giving. What are believers responsible for? What are we supposed to do? Anything at all? Well, I'll tell you this. I think the New Covenant, the New Testament, teaches that what we do with our money is an important issue. We are all responsible to God for the stewardship that God gives us, and part of that stewardship is money. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. I think that everything God gives us is a test of our loyalty to Him. I heard John MacArthur say one time that the church was giving him a raise, and he said, I don't want it. I don't need it. (laughs) I just don't want a raise. And the elder said, we want you to take it because we want to see what you do with it. And I thought, that's pretty amazing. You know, because what people do with their money. We're all stewards. We're all responsible to be involved in giving a portion of our money to the Lord. Look at what Paul told the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also you are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Uh, This is the verse that motivated me to never take a collection. You know, again, when I was in the Baptist church, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, that collection plate came by. And you know, you feel like you hate to just pass it by, you know, so you roll up a dollar bill and throw it in there. You know, that I think it's compulsion. You know, here, everyone's looking. Are you going to do something? 
That's why we started putting a box in the back. If you want to give, there's a box back there. We don't talk about it. I just, I just really feel that God will motivate the people to do what they're supposed to do. If they're being taught, all right, we'll talk about this. Uh, notice what Paul says. He says, each of you, every believer is supposed to be involved in this. It's an important function, I think, of the spiritual life. This verse tells you how much to give. Do you see it? You see it? Look at it. As he may prosper. Is God blessing you? Well, then you have more to share. I remember J. Vernon McGee. Any of you remember J. Vernon McGee? <clears throat> he was, said he was on the golf course with the president of Coca-Cola Bottling. And he said, J. Vernon, how come you never preach on tithing? He says, because I think some people should give 90 and live off 10. And he said, he never talked to me about giving again. (laughs) The most important thing we need to understand about giving, and if you don't get anything else, please get this. I believe that the scripture teaches that giving is an aspect of worship. Okay, I'm going to try to back that up. Look at Philippians 4, 15 through 18 here. Paul's writing a love letter to the Philippians. This letter to the Philippians is basically a thank you letter. Paul's saying, thanks for supporting me. Thanks for giving. That's what this is all about. He says, and you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. So these Churches are supporting Paul in his missionary endeavor. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. Paul's like, not that I really need that gift, but I love the fact that God is working in you to do this. And he says this, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent me. Then he says this, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So Paul viewed their gift as an offering to God, as a sacrifice that was well-pleasing. I think it's very important we notice the words he uses here. Fragrant is the Greek word euodia. Offering is from the Greek word osme, and sacrifice is from the Greek word thusia. Now, I'm sure you're all familiar with those words and know what they mean, right? Well, you don't really need to. What you need to understand is these same words are used in Ephesians 5 of Christ's sacrificial offering of himself to God in man's behalf. I just, you know, is that a coincidence? These same words. Look at what it says in Ephesians 5. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant yodia, offering osme and sacrifice thusia to God. These same words that Paul refers to their gift to him is the same exact language used of Christ's sacrificial offering. These words express the language of worship. And I think that giving is an expression of worship. Worship is honor paid to a superior being. It means to give homage, to give honor, reverence, respect, adoration. Worship is a consuming desire to give to God, and it involves the giving of ourselves, our heart attitudes, our possessions. The worshiping believer is a giving believer. So first and foremost, our giving, when done properly, is an act of worship. It shouldn't be grudging. It shouldn't be forced. It is an act of worship. It's an expression of love. All right, so that's one of the reasons believers in the New Covenant, that's what they're under. We ought to give to the Lord as a stewardship out of worship. But I also think the believer has a financial responsibility to, pres- to provide for those who are ministering the word to them. Now, I'll just be truthful with you. This is uncomfortable for me because it seems so self-serving. Okay, it really does. But I don't, we don't need it, okay? God has blessed us. The day we started Berean, we, we haven't taken an offering ever. And I just... Talked to the Lord, and I said, Lord, I will do this as long as you take care of me and provide for me, because I cannot work a job. I am not smart enough to work a job and to do the study that I need to do, okay? I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I have to work hard to, to study, okay? So I said, I, I just can't work a job and do this, but if you'll take care of me, I'll, I'll do it as long as you want me to. And God has provided for us. We're going on 25 years now. 
just constantly provided for us. It's just been amazing. So, again, I'm a little uncomfortable to sound self-serving, but I think it's what the Bible teaches, so I'm sharing it with you, okay? <laughs> so here we go. 1 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. Is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without eating some of the milk? You know, so he's asking here, you know, about taking care of paying people in the ministry. And he says, does anybody go to war on their own expense? I mean, these guys that are in the Navy and they go out to sea, do they got to pay for their crews? Do they got to, you know, quit their part-time job? How do they support themselves? No, the Navy pays them to do that. Soldiers don't, you know, I got to stop fighting at this time because I got to be at my job so I can support. I got to buy ammunition. I got to, you know, no, they're taken care of. And he says, who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat it? The farmer doesn't have a side job to try to make a living. He eats what he provides, what he's doing there. Or he said, who tends a flock? The shepherd gets the benefit of the flock he takes care of. He doesn't have to go to work at night. Now, examples from life, I think, are instructive, but Paul didn't rest his case on the self-evident observations. The right of a Bible teacher to be supported by the church is not only taught by custom, but it's an Old Covenant precept. In verses 8 and 9, he appeals to the Old Covenant law. He says this, Do I say these things on human authority? Then he says, Does not the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when he treads out the grain. Is this for oxen that God is concerned? So Paul's argument is not merely a human judgment because God's law taught the same thing. In biblical times, an ox was used to thresh the grain. The Israelite farmer would spread the grain out on a flat, level surface. Then they'd take a board... And they put either stones or weight on this board to actually get people on the board. And the ox, there's a pole in the center, and the ox would just go around this pole, go around this pole, go around this pole. And they let the ox eat whatever he wanted to while he's working. If a Jew muzzled the ox, he ran the risk of a scourging in the local synagogue. Because the Bible says you can't muzzle the ox. All right, so did God, is this just about oxen? Not at all. The quotation about muzzling the ox comes from Deuteronomy 25.4. And the context of this chapter indicates that this text does not refer to animals, but to men and their service for God. So that's what he's talking about in Deuteronomy 25. It's about human compassion, about human decency and fairness. It gives laws regarding dignity in punishment in verse 1 through 3. Then there's a proverb on wages for work in verse 4. Then there's a care of widows in verse 5 through 10. There's a passage on indecency in 11 through 12. And then there's a passage on honest and accurate weights and measures in 35, or 13 through 16. Not muzzling the ox was probably a proverbial expression concerning just remuneration. See, Paul quoted these same verses when he wrote to Timothy and encouraged the church to pay their ministers adequately. He said, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox when he treads out the grain. The laborer deserves his wages. It's a church's responsibility to see that their teacher is adequately paid for what he does. Now, Paul continued his appeal to Old Covenant law, in, verses, in verse 10 he says, Does he not certainly speak for our sake? He's just talked about the oxen. Didn't he just say that for us? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Now the word certainly here is the Greek word pantos, and it should be translated assuredly. He didn't mean that the command has exclusive reference to man, But he did say that the command was assuredly given for our sakes. So Paul took a figurative expression from the Old Covenant and applied it to the principle of paying the pastor for his work. As the ox works, he has the freedom to eat of the corn he's he's threshing out. The plowman should plow in hope, the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in that crop. As the worker and the ox work in hope, so should the Christian worker. He should have the hope that he's going to be taken care of for his work. Now, the principle is supported by custom 
and has the sanction of Scripture. Then in verse 11, Paul appeals to basic community justice. He said, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Now, the if here is a first-class condition in the Greek, which means since. Since I've taught you about the Lord, he's saying, since I've taught you about spiritual things, since I've encouraged you in the Word of God, Paul says, shouldn't you provide material things for me so I can go on doing this? The Greek philosophers received an honorarium for their instructions. Didn't Paul have that same right when teaching them spiritual things? Now, those who teach the Word of God have the right to expect support from those they teach. Paul taught this principle to the Galatians. He says, let the one who is taught in the word share all good things with the one who teaches. People, this is a basic principle of the Christian life. If we receive spiritual blessings, we should in turn share material blessings. If you're being taught scriptures, you have an obligation, I believe, a duty to give to those who are teaching you. If you are not being taught the Scriptures, then you have a duty, you have an obligation to go somewhere where you will be. Okay, that's the purpose of the church. It's a teaching. And if you're not being taught, then get out of there. Go somewhere where you will be taught. In Acts 20.28, Paul exhorts the Ephesian elders. He told them to feed the church of God. That's what they were called to do. The pastor's responsibility is to feed and to lead. And your responsibility is to be in the church where you're being taught and to support those who are teaching you. Look at Romans 15, 27. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. It's basic community justice to share material blessings with spiritual leaders. And Paul establishes beyond question the clear principle that a Christian worker has the right to be materially supported by the church. Now, are all pastors qualified to be supported by the church? I mean, today you got churches with staff and they have, you know, pastor of this and pastor of that. And you're wondering, what, is, what do you even do here, you know? And so, what are, are there qualifications? Well, we just read them in 1 Timothy. He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. The word rule here is prolistemi, and it means to lead, to care for, to manage, to guide. F.F. Bruce translates this as elders who direct the affairs of the church well. Now, this text also tells us we're to support those who labor in the word and doctrine. That is, those who give themselves to the study of the word, therefore, they're to be supported so they can continue to give themselves to the study of the word of God. I often have people ask me, how can you be full-time at a church that small? I'm like, our church is a lot bigger than it looks. Because <laughs> our church is out there also, all right? That's how we do it. But, okay, I, I just, again, I just think this is what the Bible teaches. Paul over and over talked about this, all right? Another area for giving is I think we are to give to support missionaries. You know, those who are out there sharing the gospel. Philippians 1, 3-5 says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnership, koinonia. You know that word, right? Fellowship. And listen, here's what's interesting. An analysis of the various ways that koinonia is used in the New Testament reveals that its most common usage is to indicate the sharing of possessions with those in need. And this is what the Philippians were doing. They were helping Paul as a missionary. They were sharing. And he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church offered a partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent for my needs once and again. He was, they were partnering with him. The word partnership here, koinoneo, which means to share with others, communicate, distribute, be a partner. They were partnering with Paul in the gospel 
by letting him go out and do what he did as they supported him. So I think the Bible teaches we're to give to support the teachers, those who accurately, those who labor in the Word of God and doctrine to teach. We're to support the missionaries. I think there's another category in the church. I think the church is also to support the needy in the church. Okay? Romans 15, 26. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The word taking part here is the Greek word koinonia. As I said earlier, analysis of this, it's just the common usage is sharing of possessions with those in need. Contribute, koinoneo, to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Do not neglect to do good and to share, koinonia, what you have for such sacrifices is pleasing to God. So our giving is also go to the meeting of the needs of the people in the fellowship. When I was at this Baptist church, I was a youth pastor. After I left, one of the, my former teenagers came to me and told me this story. He, uh, his mother was a single parent, and she was being evicted from their house because she just wasn't able to make ends meet. So he went to the church, went to the pastor of the church, big Baptist church, to ask for help. They basically told him, you know, you've been coming here for years and years, but no, nah, we got nothing for you. So he said, I, as a kid, I, a teenager, I sat on my lawn as the sheriffs came and, you know, and just cried and just, this is what the church is about? You know, he was brokenhearted. And most churches, they don't have any money to help meet needs, okay? Because they spend every dime that comes in on a building and whatever else, you know, a lot of staff, and they just... That's not really a consideration for them, which to me is so sad. At this Baptist church, when they did a building program, they went to the widows and asked for money from these widows who had money. And I thought, wait a minute, you're supposed to be helping take care of the widows, not taking money from the widows. It's just, I know why people don't want to talk about giving. They don't want to hear about it because there's so much sickening stuff going on. You know, but we have to understand this is what the Bible teaches. And we have a responsibility. Okay? Just because they've messed something up, it doesn't change that. We meet the needs of those in the fellowship. You know, we keep cash on hand here just because we always have people coming here asking for money. You know, can I have the, and and okay, a lot of them are scammers. I tell you what, I've been doing this. I the Baptist church I went to, my job was benevolence. In other words, if someone wanted money, they had to come through me. That was a smart move because, you know, I thoroughly investigated people, all right? But when someone comes here and it's urgent and it's, you know, we help them. And then I try to find out, did they really need this help? Because I would rather err on the side of love and meet somebody's need than push them away. You know, this lady, remember she came here and sat in the back and cried during the service? And, you know, I got cancer and I'm dying and my Boyfriend left me, and I'm in the motel, and they're about to put me out. So we drove to the motel. We paid for her bill. We got her food. We found out it was all a scam. She came back. Long time later, remember? It was at a men's meeting, and she comes walking in. And I said, hi, I remember you. How's the cancer? And she was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> well, I got to go, you know? It's just they're everywhere trying to scam you. But it's hard to find people who are in a genuine need today, I think. But when they are, I think... We need to help people out. That's part of what we should do with our money. You know, is it help those who need help? Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to Yahweh. You want to give Yahweh some money? You want to lend him some? And he will repay him for his deed. Take that to the bank, okay? So our giving is an act of worship. It's to be used to support the leaders in the church, to support missionaries, to support the needy. Giving is the responsibility and duty of every Christian. It's not God's way of raising money. It's God's way of raising children. Stewardship. Every time we give sacrificially, we give away a little bit of our selfishness, okay? I think that the Scripture is very clear that we're to be giving. The question that's so debated is, well, how much are we supposed to give? 
Well, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, he says, do it in keeping with how he is prospering. How has God blessed you? If you have more to give, then maybe you're supposed to give more. You might be surprised to hear that the Bible teaches that the, the amount that we give is voluntary. It's brought about by our choice, by free, spontaneous, uncompelled. The Bible teaches grace giving and grace is voluntary. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are the normative passages on Christian giving. And these two chapters stand out as apostolic teaching on giving. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly is going to reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. They gave as they purposed in their heart. They gave what they wanted to. They gave cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 8, 7-9 says, But as you excel in everything, See that you excel in this act of grace also. And he's talking about giving here. All right? Very important. Hang on to that. Excel in this grace. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Yeshua the Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. In verse 7, grace is used of giving. In verse 9, grace is used of the atonement of Christ. Again, tying these two things together. Paul says here that grace should lead to grace, that grace shown to us by God should lead to grace giving. Our motivation for giving is not legal. It's out of love and gratitude from a worshiping heart. Let me take this opportunity to say thank you to all you that support this ministry. I am, as I said, just baffled by what people do to support this ministry. People we've never heard of, people we've never met, they send in checks, they support us. And and my only rationalization is they must be being taught, and so they just feel, or they know what the Scriptures say, so they give to help out. I mean, we could never have what we have here if it wasn't for those people who were watching. We couldn't do it. We we could not pay the bills here. And so we are indebted to you for allowing us to be here. And you're indebted to us because if it wasn't for us, we wouldn't be broadcasting. So it's just, it's an amazing family. And and I'm so appreciative and uh, I'm constantly in awe. And when I open the mail, I always say, thank you, Lord. For your provision. It just, it mar- I marvel at how God provides. And it's because of the generous giving that Berean is able to do what we do. And, and I hear from people all the time, I'm so thankful for your teaching. I'm so appreciative of what you do. And they support it. So I'm like, okay, that's, that does show you're appreciative. So it's just, this message has nothing to do with needs here. Please understand that, okay? God is... God has been blessing us. I really felt when COVID hit that we're going to take a hit in giving. Our giving increased during COVID. I have no clue how that worked. I don't. We gained a bunch of new givers that I'd never heard of before. So I don't, I don't understand that. But I know, huh? They're stuck at home. So they got to watch something. And I happen to pop up on YouTube. So (laughs) it's just, we serve an amazing God. And, you know, I know this is a touchy subject because it is so abused in the churches. It is just so abused. And, you know, we, you really have to be careful. I'm very skeptical of any organization that I don't personally know. And the people, we support two different missionaries here, as I know them personally. They are preterous <laughs> missionaries. They love the Lord. They serve God, okay? I know that I'd be reluctant to give because I just think we have to know what's going on because I met a lot of missionaries who are just like, hey, this is a great gig. They're not really doing anything for the Lord. They're just enjoying another culture. So I think that's important that we understand, you know, what we're doing with our money and we're careful with it. And we try to be very careful here with the money because I, I just, I'll tell you one story and I'll close, all right? When I was a Baptist, we went to Baptist Fundamentalism 84. It's called BF84, big conference, okay? 
And you have, right before this conference, you have a big day at church. You want to get all the people in church you can get. So when you go to the conference, we had this many at church Sunday. This is the major thing. It's a bragging right. I remember the pastor coming to me. I'm the youth pastor. How many kids can you have Sunday? I said, depends on how much money you give me. He said, what? You give me money, I'll buy pizza, I'll do this. We'll have a huge crowd. We had almost 200 kids because we gave away pizza. We had movies. We did. I mean, it was a big, grand affair. Here you go. Here's your number. Take it to your conference. We go to the conference. It was in New York. And we went out to eat one night, and we get to this restaurant, and I'm looking at the menu, and everything's a la carte. And I mean, a steak is $25. This is in 1984. And I'm like, guys, I'm in the wrong place. I got to go. No, 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 don't worry about it. I said, what do you mean don't worry about it? The ministry's paying for this. And I'm like, I'm eating this steak, and I'm kind of sick to my stomach because I'm thinking, you know, there's this elderly lady who's been pressured to give and she gave her money and this is how it's being used and i just it just it just didn't sit right with me you know there was so much abuse i really almost left the ministry i thought this is what's about i don't really want any part of it but thank god there is much more to it than that so again i appreciate your faithfulness your giving we have been so blessed let's pray father thank you this morning for the opportunity just to talk about your word, Lord. Some things, this is just not a comfortable message for me, but I believe the Bible teaches this. I pray you would educate your people, Lord. Free us from the bondage of the tithe. Help us to give out of a joyful heart because of who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for your grace to us. Amen.